You're listening to the We Lead Well podcast, where well-being matters. The show is brought to you in partnership with Transform Education Coaching, headteacherchat.com and the Teach Well Alliance. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the We Lead Well podcast. I'm Vicky Maguire. I'm a coach working in schools with teachers and senior leaders to help them to improve their well-being. Before I tell you about today's interview, um, I just want to tell you about a group that I joined after the show last week. I was talking to Dan Edwards about running and I was invited to join a group on Strava, which is the Edge of Twitter group. And the people on there, they run and they bike. And it's a really great supportive community that I joined and I've been involved in some really interesting conversations with people about exercise. So if you're interested, that might be a nice way to get yourself a little support group if you're wanting to do the couch to 5k or you're wanting to introduce more running or cycling into your life. So that's a hashtag edge your Twitter group and it's on the Strava app. And if you don't know what the Strava app is, it's a, it's a little app that helps you to track your exercise. It uses uh, satellite tracking so it can tell you how far you've run or how far you've cycled. Um, and it's really useful. It can tell you how much exercise you get in. It will give you comparisons to how much exercise you did last week or last month or last year. And it can tell you how quickly you're running. So it's a really good way of tracking not only your exercise, but how how much you're improving. Um, I haven't been paid anything <laughs> by Strava to uh, to promote them, by the way. I just use it and um, I, th- I think it's a really good way of tracking your exercise. And especially with the Edge of Twitter group now, I've found a really good support group there for my running and my cycling. So on to this week's interview. I am absolutely so excited to tell you that today I have Andy Buck on the show. I'm so delighted that he agreed to join us and share his knowledge and experience and wisdom with us. Um, and and it's just just a significant amount that Andy knows. It just it wasn't possible to to pick his brains enough in the I think it was about forty minutes that we had talking. However, in that forty minutes, there are some absolute gems. He is so knowledgeable. He totally understands what it is to be a leader and to support staff. And he he really is interested in well being and coaching. He was a head teacher himself for 13 years um, and then he was a national leader of education and he was also, amazingly, the director at the National College for School Leadership um, where he was leading on the London Challenge programme. He was responsible for setting up the Teaching Schools programme. Um, <laughs> this man's CV is just incredible, isn't it? And then he became the managing director at United Learning which is one of the country's largest academy groups. So we really are privileged to have him on the show today. Um, Andy then went on to create Leadership Matters to support leadership development in schools. 
Uh, and it's a that's an online membership organisation that offers access to high quality leadership training materials. It's something that I have actually used um, and would endorse using in schools. It gave me a really good basis for delivering leadership training to my middle and senior leaders when I was working in a school. So I would highly recommend that programme to you. Um, Andy, like me as well, is a huge proponent of coaching. And more recently, he's written a book based on what he has developed, which is the basic model for coaching. And that is uh, sits alongside a new online training course and qualification that he's developed, which he tells me more about in the interview, which I'm sure you're going to really enjoy. So here we go. Here's Andy Book. Andy Book, welcome to the podcast. It's amazing to have you on the show. Thank you for joining us. How are you today? Yeah, no, good. I've just um, been leading a day's online training with the National College of Education with um middle leaders mainly uh, some aspirant middle leaders um but that's the new world we're in now isn't it working in uh working in this more online way funnily enough um i know well-being is something you're very interested in um one of the things i was really surprised to hear was when when we asked them a couple of sessions ago because it's a whole day and it's not all online you know there's a mixture of sort of a blended learning approach but we were yeah. asking them about um, whether or not they were missing not having the face-to-face, -face, you know, because normally this would be, you know, everyone rocks up to some sort of a venue and you've got you've got your breakout rooms around the table, they're real discussions and, and all the rest of it. Um, and I was expecting them to say, oh, well, we've really missed it. We can't wait till we can get back to doing some face-to-face. -face. And that wasn't the answer. Really? It wasn't the answer we got at all. Everyone was saying, we really love this way of working because we get the really intense and, you know, my sessions are quite interactive um with the chat box and uh, and all the rest of it and bringing people in um you know even when you've got 100 or so you can do that if once you've yeah. worked out you know worked out some techniques to do it but the fact that they didn't have to travel anywhere they didn't have to make polite conversation with the person that they ended up sitting next to because we've sort of set them up with buddies so when they do the offline stuff they just go and do that on whatsapp with the same person that they always do it with so they're really yeah. building a, a you know really meaningful relationship with that person um and no they were they were saying actually this just works so much better for us uh, so much so that the um, I know you're quite passionate about coaching, but we're about to launch a new instructional coaching program um, again using apprenticeship levy that you can so it doesn't cost schools anything. Um, but we've designed that program. I'm doing it in conjunction with with Tom Sherrington and Oliver Cavioli. We're doing it entirely online, even when we could go back to meeting face to face. We're not going to, uh, apart from potentially having a big kind of celebration event at some point during the process where we bring everyone together, because actually the people prefer it and they're able to fit it in around their lives it's more flexible as I say it doesn't involve the travel um and I can do it from my little office here in Derbyshire without having to go anywhere which is also nice yeah and um, um, we, we can talk to each other without having to go anywhere which yeah is and, great. and we're doing we're doing the same thing you yeah, know I wouldn't I have been able to do I wouldn't have been able to do this if I'd been coming back from somewhere uh, today you know it's no. much more time efficient as well yeah I think it's interesting the way that we're moving towards online and how we can have more school meetings being done online and I think mm. when they're online they're much more productive people don't mm -hmm. waste so much time probably mm -hmm. it's probably mm. a much more productive way of working so I'm sure that 
the vast majority of our, lead, uh, our uh, listeners will have heard of you. But can you just introduce yourself to our listeners and tell us a bit about yourself and what you do? Yeah, sure. So um, uh, after leaving uni, I did a year working in the television industry, um, thinking that that's what I wanted to do as a career. Um, but actually found that um, I, I didn't really enjoy it that much. There were periods that were really, really intense when you were filming. Uh, I was working for a commercial production company as a way of kind of getting experienced and, um, you know, hopefully them breaking into real television, inverted commas. Um, and then there were periods in between when you were doing filming where there wasn't always that much going on. And 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 so I just thought, God, there's more to it than this. There has to be, you know, I was that young kind of um, uh, you know, aspirational and excited and had all sorts of expectations about working life. Um, and I went back and trained at the Institute of Education to become a geography teacher. And, and I just remember going into the first lecture and um, meeting the tutor group and the tutor and thinking, oh, you know, this is, this is kind of where I belong. Um, and uh, so I was a geography teacher, head a year, head of department, deputy head, um, head teacher for 13 years altogether in two schools. Uh, the second of which we were, um, you know, judged outstanding by the skin of our teeth, I have to say. <laughs> um, and uh, I then became a, um, uh, an executive head working with another school that was in special measures. Um, then uh, went to work at the National College for School Leadership, which was an amazing experience working with Steve Mumby and his senior team there, uh, leading on London Challenge and then uh, helping to get into the white paper and set up teaching schools. Um, then I, I moved across because they were I could see the writing on the wall that the National College wasn't going to survive with, with the current government. And, and actually, that is what's happened. It's kind of mm. gone now. Um, but I uh, went to work at United Learning as the managing director of, of that uh, organization, which is now the largest academy group in the country. Um, and when I left, I was responsible for about 40 schools. But I, but I, I just felt so far away from the kind of being a teacher and helping on the front line. It was a, it was a lot of, um, you know, necessary uh, meetings and and as I saw it perhaps bureaucracy and one of the things that I just think is so important uh, for all of us working in the profession is that we get up every morning and we know why we do what we do and I remember getting up one morning and just thinking oh I don't I don't want to do this I've you know I knew after about six months that it wasn't a good job fit and and I thought no you come on pull yourself together so I, I did another year but it just wasn't right for me. And it was nothing about the organization or anything like that. It was it was really about the fit of the role and me and what I was passionate about, which was helping people one-to-one um, or, or, or in a classroom. So I, I basically went right back to being a teacher seven years ago um, and went independent. Um, some of this may resonate with you because I know you've been making similar decisions yourself. Yeah. Um, and... Um, and, and I haven't looked back. I mean, it's been quite extraordinary what's happened. Uh, it prompted me to write Leadership Matters. And then from that came the website. And I teamed up with some commercial partners to do that. Um, and then basic coaching came along as, a, as, as my kind of COVID lockdown one project, which was writing that because, I, I, you know, like you, I uh, invested a lot in coaching training. I'm very interested in it and the power of it. I, I never discovered coaching till very late in my leadership. It was like the last three years of headship, really. I, wow. I had a coach, um, never had a coach before that. I mean, I became a head before MPQH. That's how old I am. And, um, uh, and, and yeah, just trying to um, help, you know, the strap line of Leadership Matters is with you and for you. Uh, and and so that's the role I'm kind of playing now, having having 
been through the system and spent a lot of time in senior leadership in schools and so on, just really trying to help leaders uh, feel like when they get up every day, they're really looking forward to their job and helping them keep it in perspective, helping people focus on and remember the positives because it's very easy, you know, with all the accountability framework and so on to, to be a senior leader living in fear. Yeah. Um, and, and of course that then translates down to middle leaders in schools as well. So, um, I mean, don't, don't, don't get me wrong. I think accountability is really important, but it is about getting that done intelligently and, and with the right balance. Um, yeah. and, and some of the people that kind of design our accountability systems are used to a very different accountability, which is the ballot box, um, which is, which is incredibly different from the sort of accountability framework we operate in. So for me, the balance of uh, of Ofsted and league tables uh, and and the kind of football manager syndrome that exists, particularly around headship. Um, I was funny. I was just listening to Harry Redknapp, who was on uh, on the telly today, uh, in between doing one of one of my sessions, and and he was saying that, you know, it is like that in football. You know, you have a run of five bad games, and you know, like Arcotta, I believe at the moment is not doing very well with yeah. Arsenal, and then he's now he's had five good good games and everyone thinks he's the best yeah. manager in the world. I think he's a bit the um, same for Solskjaer at Manchester United as well. Yeah, exactly. He's another now, great example. Now they're you know. second in the league and everybody's yeah. changed their minds. Exactly. Um, and, and I think that there's, you know, there's the balance isn't right and it, it isn't in football either. Um, but that's the world we're in. And so trying to not be an antidote exactly, but help people see things in perspective and remember why they do what they do, I suppose, is something that I'm, I'm very passionate about because, um, you know, it's really interesting. There was some, I don't know, it was NFER, I can't remember who it was, but there was some research published recently that was showing that um, when teachers feel engaged uh, and properly engaged in what they're doing uh, and, and enjoying it and, and caring about what they're doing, I guess, is at the heart of this, um number one they hang around for longer so it has a massive effect on retention um the difference yeah. being something like five percent turnover rate in a school where people are engaged and care about the school and what it's doing versus you know, 35 percent turnover in schools where there isn't that engagement um and i know engagement's not the same thing as well-being but in doing some research recently <laughs> for I, I i i think it absolutely is because i don't think yeah. you can you can't separate the two can well you? that's is very it... interesting you say that because there's a piece of research came out very recently that was basically saying exactly what you've just said um so i'm i'm not a fan of of well-being that's about you know yoga on a thursday afternoon after school you know those kind of bolt-on things yeah. it's much more fundamental than that it's about really good leadership that creates the culture and climate in a school where where people feel uh, healthily challenged um, but feel cared for and where everyone works to a, a similar set of standards that are, you know are high um, and so that's not saying it's an easy environment to be in people shouldn't I don't think I'm sure you'd agree mistake well-being with you know everything being warm and fluffy it's not that it's it's no. about being in, in a in a place of of healthy, uh, healthy challenge. Um, Mary Myatt, um, who you'll know, she's written a brilliant book. Her first book, she's written a lot of brilliant books, um, but the first book that, that she wrote that I'm aware of anyway was, was a book called High Challenge, Low Threat. Um, and that's fundamental to what I think about leaders and schools is, you know, you can, you can take people out of their comfort zone by 10 to 15% and have them in what's known as the zone of growth or the zone of stretch. 
And that's fantastic. That's what great teachers do, of course, in the classroom with children. Yeah. You don't push them so far that they're into the zone of panic or the zone of stress. Yeah. Uh, because that way goes well-being issues, ultimately mental health issues, um, because the brain can only cope with the distress of uh, not feeling uh, positive or valued or, or, or overwhelmed and, you know, lacking a sense of personal control um, is fundamental to that. Um, so creating that kind of psychologically safe space um, is the thing that, that breeds that well-being. And, and going back to the NFER data, the other thing that, that has come out was that the people who were, um, you know, saying that they felt okay about work they really enjoyed it you know who who had if you like a high engagement or well-being score for want of a better phrase were working the same hours as the people who weren't so it's not about hours of work necessarily it's about how you feel when you're doing it um i mean obviously there's a limit to you know from 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 a physical point of view to to how long is a good amount of hours a week to be working but it's about mentally how you're feeling about that work and the evidence is is clearly there that if you're operating in a toxic or a psychologically psychologically unsafe space that, that that can have a really really negative effect on particularly the climate of an organization yeah. and then people's heads go down and then people don't stay uh, and then and then that can create a reaction amongst leaders that means well we need to tighten up even more and you know and, and the whole thing spirals down yeah. whereas in great schools People are valued, healthily challenged. There's clarity, there's consistency. Um, there's a co-creation of, of what they're about. Um, and that leads to a really strong sense of ownership. So rather than people you know, being willingly compliant or grudgingly compliant, you've got people taking ownership and people being properly enrolled in what, in what they're doing because they, they really you know, ultimately care about it. And that, that seems to me to be fundamental. I think there are, there are a, I think a few things that have come up there that I find interesting. The first is the idea of finding your why or your purpose and how important mm -hmm. that is to teachers and, uh, and leaders. And I mm -hmm. feel like in so many schools and organisations, the reason why people are there has been forgotten mm -hmm. and they've not thought for a long time about why they're there how do you how how would you advise leaders or teachers to go about finding that sense of purpose again where where do you mm. find that where does it come from it's, it's a really interesting question I mean when I was working my way up through the ranks as it were and even when I in you know probably for most of my headship I was, I'll be honest with you, I was always a bit skeptical about, you know, having a vision and purpose and, you know, the, the point of all of that. Um, and, I, and I think that's probably because my experience of it was quite shallow, um, that where people had done visioning exercises or, you know, things like that, it, it felt a little bit like a kind of tick box exercise rather mm -hmm. than something that was, was a bit more than that. Um, but I mean, in terms of individuals rekindling, um, having people that they can talk with that don't judge them that can get them to reflect on what they've done in the in the last 24 hours or the last week or the last six months you know and, and a lot of the coaching that i do particularly when i'm you know i've got coaching tomorrow with a whole bunch of heads um with a multi-academy trust down on the south coast and one of the things we'll do right at the beginning of um that coaching conversation and i kind of use basic as my rubric here and, and the b of basic is background you know what's going on 
it's really important for me to be getting them to focus on what are they proud of? You know, what are you proud of about what you've achieved in the last month, nine, 10 months since COVID really, um, well, longer than that now, isn't it? Nearly mm. 11 yeah. um, uh, months has, has been going. So that in that kind of reflection about the positives of, of what they're doing, that just just doing that helps them it reminds them of why they do what they do it's the it's those things um i mean i can remember um you know headship is not good we were talking about football manager syndrome when i first became a head it was a bit of an accident i mean i always knew i wanted to be a head one day um but i i left being a head of geography to become a deputy head it was so long ago we didn't really have assistant heads in those days yeah, so that was the, there were senior teachers but <laughs> yeah, that was sort yeah. of, that was different um and so I, I became I became a deputy head, and two years later the head um, took early retirement because it was 1997, and all the rules around early retirement, teachers' pension were all changing. And if if the head teacher hadn't retired then, he was he was going to have to work for like another ten years. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you know so he 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 left, and and I thought well I love the school, but I've only been deputy head you know, two years ago. I was running a geography department in Muswell Hill for goodness sake. Um, so I thought, well, look, I just hope we get a really good head. And then a member of staff came to see me and said, Andy, why don't you apply? And I thought, hmm, although they did add the caveat, you know, in case you're the best there is, which is not the sort of ringing endorsement you really look for in that situation. But anyway, it did get me thinking. And I thought, you know what, I'll just stick in an application, you know, on the basis that if I, if, you know, if I am the best there is, well, I'd rather it was me than someone else. Well, you yeah. can guess the rest. I became a head. Um, and that was really, really tough for those five years. But the first year, results went up by 7%. Everybody was really pleased. And then the following year, they went up by another 2%. And I was thinking, okay, I'm obviously doing this right. And then in the third year, results came in and they went right back to where we started. And I remember thinking, oh, I don't know if I can do this. I just don't know if I've got it in me to mm. keep going because it was so devastating. And of course, pride kicks in and, you know, what do the staff think? And everyone's thinking, oh, that Andy Black's not quite as good as he thought he was and, and all of that. And I remember ringing my mum and I said to my mum, mum, I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I just, I don't know if I want to do it anymore. I've completely lost my mojo, um, you know, and, 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 you know, this is something that heads are going through, um, you know, all the time. I, I, you know, I never after that could sleep exams night, results night, um, I mean, if there's one good thing that's come out of COVID is for 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 two years, those that that's that sort of high yeah. stakes pressure hasn't quite been there in the same way. It's been replaced by a whole load of other pressures, of course. But um, and my mum was very interesting. I mean, obviously she knows me incredibly well, and she she's from an education background. She was in a, um, like a local authority um, uh, leader in in West Sussex, and and she said to me, well. Yeah, maybe you're right, Andy. And I thought, what? You're not supposed to say that. You know, when I was saying I couldn't do it. And she said, but don't decide now. Um, you know, there's no point in deciding now. You know, you don't need to give in your resignation yet anyway. It'll make no difference. Just just give it a while and see what happens. And then, you know, at Christmas, if you still feel the same, then then that's probably the right thing to do. Um, and of course, she knew me well enough to know that I would, you know, pull myself together uh, and and really think about it and work out what I needed to do. But one of the decisions that I made that term was to start doing some of the things that gave me nourishment, that gave me the that, that thing to want to get out of bed and really go to school. Um, because I'd stopped doing them because I thought, well, when you become a head, you don't do these things. And they're not what heads do. 
Um, so, so one of them was running the school ski trip, for example. It's a tiny little thing, but I loved skiing and I love the relationship you get when you head off on a bus onto the continent and through the tunnel with a whole bunch of kids who you're going to be with for a week. The, you know, what happens on those trips and the pleasure that I used to get from seeing these kids enjoy skiing and, and the evenings and, 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 and also they get to see you as a head in a very different light in a situation like that. So I, I started that up again. Um, the similar thing was I always used to do set design and lighting um, and kind of stage management for all the school plays. I'd done that ever since I was a teacher in 1987, done it every year. And I thought, well, I can't do that anymore. I'm ahead, you know, heads don't do that. <laughs> I started doing that again. And of course, again, it's the same thing, that relationship with the children that you get, the creativity that was in that as well. Because, you know, sometimes headship can feel like, oh, I've got another problem to solve. Yeah. Someone's gone on maternity leave. Well, you, you know, you're very pleased for them. Of course you are, but it gives you a problem. You spend all your time fixing things all the time. And, and I'm not naturally a fixer. I'm someone who's a creator. Um, probably why the last seven years has been so productive and rewarding for me. But it, it's working out about you. What are the things that I need to make sure are there to nourish me? Um, and how do we keep doing it? And of course, the other thing I did was I started teaching again because I, I, you know, I was so overwhelmed having been a deputy head, uh, a head of geography two years before, I thought, well, I can't teach as well um, as get to grips with this new job of being this head of this school in Dagenham with 1500 pupils and you know, 150 staff. Um, but actually it was a really important thing for me to be a teacher, one, to model, model that for the staff, but two, because I just, when I was in that classroom with, with, with 30 children, that was my space with them and I could be a teacher, which I love. Um, so, you know, my advice to, to, to schools and school leaders is number one, have someone that you can talk to who's not going to judge you, you know, whether that's a kind of formal coach or a buddy, um, but, you know, someone ideally who's not in the school or connected with the school um, that can remind you why you do what you do and help you celebrate your successes because we're very good at beating ourselves up in education aren't we, aren't we? <laughs> uh, and, num and number two try and learn or work out in the way that I had to what are the things that really nourish you and make sure you get them and uh, take some ownership of that and and so be preactive rather than uh, proactive rather than reactive and, and take some ownership of, of your own well-being if you like in in that sort of a way so really interesting word to use because a lot of people bandy around the phrase self-care don't they but the mm. idea of nourishment I think mm. is it's quite a, I think it's quite a, an interesting way to describe it um you talk about coaching and what what the thing that I found with coaching is that a lot of people don't understand the power of it mm -hmm. until they experience it. Lots yeah. of people will say, oh, coaching, I don't, I don't need that. And they, they think mm -hmm. that maybe that's a bit of a, I don't Negative, wouldn't describe it as warm yeah. and fluffy, but they, they yeah. think it's a bit woo-woo or, you know, counseling, coaching. No, mm -hmm. it's not, it's not my thing. But my experience is that when you coach someone, it switches a light on and they go wow this is amazing and, and mm. they really see the benefits of it how mm. do you think we can encourage more heads and leaders to experience coaching and to, to take on a coach so that they mm. will benefit from it how can we really how can we really well, encourage in a way, more? yeah no I mean I really agree with that analysis um, and, I, you know, that was me as well. You know, I was 10 years ahead before I had a coach. I had mm -hmm. a business mentor and actually that was incredibly powerful. But 
that was like a short-lived thing um and it was it just wasn't you know coaches heads didn't have coaches in those days it was it just wasn't the done thing um but i kind of think you to some extent have answered your own question in the question which is it is about getting giving heads the opportunity to experience it mm. so um because like you say once they have if you've had good coaching not only does it kind of light that light bulb as you were describing it um it also enables you to see the power of it before we find out more about the power of coaching i'd like to just tell you a little bit about our partner headteacherchat.com headteacherchat discusses lots of topics from how to support pupils with learning, how to support parents, and the many issues that come with leading a school. The aim of Head Teacher Chat is to support head teachers and school leaders who are in a challenging and often lonely role. They do this by offering lots of information for schools to tap into. For example, they have lots of fantastic education companies on their database for leaders to discover, as well as leadership templates to download. They've written product reviews for leaders who are looking for products for their school. And this year, they've even launched the very first School Leader Planner, especially designed to help leaders to be productive and organised. If you'd like to hear more about Head Teacher Chat, you can find them on their website at www.headteacherchat.com. Head Teacher Chat. It's what head teachers are talking about. Now let's get back to the interview and find out more about the power of coaching from Andy. Um, I mean, the, the, when I'm coaching, the agenda is always set by the coachee, but the I do have two goals every time that I what I want to achieve. Number one is greater clarity for them about their future and what they're going to do, and number two is greater optimism about what they're going to do. And I write about that a lot in the basic coaching book. You know, that that's the thing you're striving to do for me anyway, all the way through coaching is is to leave people at the end of the conversation with even greater clarity than they had when they came in about the future uh, and even greater optimism uh, than they had when they came in about the future. So uh, um, you might be able to hear Woodford in the background. I don't know if you can <laughs> hear it, but apologies for that. He's obviously, um, uh, he's obviously woken up and needing a bit of attention. So I don't worry about uh, and by it. the way, pets, that's the other thing. I was always very skeptical about, you know, school dogs and all of that uh, in terms of well-being for pupils, but, and I've never had a dog until very recently, but this little boy has completely won my heart. Um, and I think, you know, anyone who's a, a, had a dog in particular, I guess, will say, actually, it's a big part of my own well-being and my own nourishment, to go back to that word. Um, yes. Because the nourishment you get when you go down in the morning and the welcome that you get from him, the unconditional love that you get from a dog, goodness me, it's powerful. It's amazing. You've been there. Uh... You've been yeah, persuaded I've been, about the power I've been of the dog. Smitten. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. But I mean, I think structurally, um, I think it would be quite good if we're thinking about structural change within the country. Come back to your question. Um, you know, when, when I was in London Challenge, uh, one of the programs that we ran there uh, collaboratively was called um, uh, the, the what was it called? The Moving to New Headship, the New Headship Program. Can't remember what we called it, but. Um, Basically, we used to scour the TES every week and see what schools were advertising for, for headships. And then when they were appointed, we'd get in touch and we'd say to the new head, would you like to have a coach for 18 months for free? Because that was paid for by London Challenge. And, and a whole bunch of us as ex more experienced heads 
were the coaches. So we understood the context and the setting. We weren't from a local area because I think not being part of it, as I was saying yeah. earlier, is really important. There's no sense of any potential competition. You just know that the coach has only got one agenda, which is to help you, and I would say be clearer and more optimistic. Um, and if we were able to get back to uh, some sort of uh, sense where there was an, and that was an entitlement for any head in, in, in London as part of the Moving to New Headship program, you would get this offer of a coach and, and pretty much everyone accepted it and took it on and saw the power of it. And it was a great way of moving knowledge around the system, but it was also a great, great way of making sure that in those first 18 months of headship, um, which are very fragile potentially because you know you don't know what it's like until mm. sitting in that chair um uh, the difference that would have made to my early headship for example would have been phenomenal i made so many mistakes um or i lacked the confidence to perhaps do what i needed to do um but but didn't have anyone to kind of run it by or or you know get a sense that yeah no go yeah. for it Andy. you know because um, i think i think when you talk about making the mistakes the coaching gives you a space to explore that as well doesn't it and it helps you to learn like the coaching journey is a learning journey that you go on and if you have time and space like you were saying before about Mm. the idea of reflection and it's Mm -hmm. a reflection space where you can reflect on perhaps the mistakes that you made and what you've learned from them and how you'll do things differently that's really important isn't it completely and 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 uh, you're absolutely right vicky and 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 also you know, if you've been well coached or coached well, I should say, you will know it's not cozy. Um, it, it's it's no. safe. It's absolutely safe. Um, but it's high challenge. It's back mm. to, you know, Mary Martin high challenge with low threat. Um, because because there's there's no barrier between you and the other person. Because you know it's a confidential conversation. You can really say what's on your mind and challenge yourself. But also the coach can can say to you, are you sure that's really the issue, Andy? Um, uh, you know, as I suddenly find myself doing, you know, that, that fourth level of listening where your your intuition is saying, I don't think this is it. I think yeah. there's more to it than what you're really telling me. I think the um, word, I think that the word I say so often is really? Yes. You know, just yeah. that one word and yeah, it yeah, can yeah. make a big and then, difference. And then talking about, I mean, often the best comments or questions in coaching are short. Um, my other absolute favorite from Michael Bungay Stanier and his great book, The Coaching Habit, is what else? Yeah. Which could be about background, could be about uh, options as to how you're going to solve whatever it is you've decided to do, or it could be the list of things that you know you need to do towards the end. I use, you know, what else all the time because it implies you think there is something else. Even yeah. when it's the coach, you haven't got a second clue if there's anything else or not. But there always is, think- though, isn't there? Oh, they're always, <laughs> rarely is, rarely is there one answer. And, and secondly, rarely is, uh, quite often, the first one's not the best when it comes to coming up with solutions for things. And it's that space where someone's challenging you to think beyond your first thought that, you know, you just can't do on your own unless you're really skilled at self-coaching. You, you know, you need the dialogue in order to release that from within you. And also, you know, I'm a big fan of, of coaching, not being pure coaching. You know, the basic coaching model um, uses the whole of the coaching spectrum. So, you know, I will always start by asking first, but if I've got an idea and I've asked what else and they've really exhausted and they are, that there's nothing left in them, I will say, I've got one more thought. Do you want to hear it? And then I'll metaphorically put it on the table, teach them something, and then go back into coaching and say, um, 
well, you know, could could that be useful? Or of the, all those options now, including mine, what do you think you might do? Um, because they're the experts in the context. They know the people. Um, they're the ones best to decide. But, yeah. but being able to challenge them, okay, so you've chosen that one, not that one. Just explain to me a bit more about why you haven't chosen that one. Um, it's incredibly powerful and, and great for well-being as well, I think. Yeah, I, I think all all leaders, I think everybody should have a coach, actually, but I think leaders and head teachers should Well, a starting have a point would be a national entitlement to head teachers having at least a year of some mm. sort of coaching by, by people who are, you know, accredited and qualified, because, you know, there's plenty of people out there that aren't really very good coaches, probably, but... Um, I don't know how you do that. I mean, what you want to do is make sure it's not some great bureaucratic machine, but um, to have that entitlement, I think, would be enormously helpful because it's a lonely job sometimes. Yeah. Uh, you know, some people say it's not, but, you know, it is, you know, in the end, within if unless you've got that wider social network, um, then then it can be really, really challenging um, and, and lacking in that nourishment we were talking about earlier. And I think the important thing to recognise at this point about coaching is the non-judgmental nature of it. Yeah. So that is one of the, um, so the way the, the basic coaching works, the word basic is not saying it's a basic thing. It's it's about the structure of the conversation, as yeah. you know. So the background, the aim, the strategy, the implementation roughly helps you frame it, although it's not a straitjacket. It's just a rough guide no, as to how the conversation um, but there are there are three other elements to it then apart from that, which is known as basic steps. Um, and one of those is basic qualities, which are the kind of personal qualities that you need to exhibit to be a really great coach. And there are lots of them, but I've honed it down to four. So building trust, showing empathy, staying positive, and then the last one, remaining curious, uh, you know, i.e. not being judgmental. But I've framed it positively, obviously, otherwise that would be... Uh, <laughs> Uh, that would be breaking one of my other rules. So those are the four key qualities that I think you need. Um, and then they need to sit along what I've called the four basic habits. So this is about the habit of always asking first, but it's okay to go into mental mode if that seems like the right thing to do and someone's really struggling. Um, framing your questions well. I mean, there's a massive difference between an open and a closed question in coaching. There's a massive difference with questions that start with could you or have you or um, why did you than what and how questions. What and how questions are just so much more powerful. And these small words make a real difference to how they're received. Then there's listening hard, really listening hard. And and I describe in the, the model about, you know, the different levels of listening, ranging from just nodding to show that you are listening to playing back, which shows that you've heard. Um, you know, and playing back is the the last of the basic habits because, you know, when you when you play back, sounds like what you're saying is three things happen for me. Number one, you build rapport. Oh, okay, so he has really been listening to what I've been saying. Number two, you 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 kind of clarify and check for understanding and maybe helpfully summarize for someone else what 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 they've just said in a way that then gives you the third benefit, which is it often often is a springboard for another thought in the person so it sounds like what you're saying is i've never in the eight or nine hundred hours of professional coaching that i've done had a situation where the person has said yeah no you're right that is exactly what i mean they'll always qualify it or 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 that summary that you've given them will be a yes and and they'll say something else um 
So you're not even asking questions and yet you're prompting further thinking, further development that they're owning for themselves. And that again is part of the kind of, uh, it, it's not working to someone else's agenda or feeling like you're implementing someone else's ideas. Because when it comes to well-being, if it comes from you, if you're owning it, you believing it, that's really healthy. And did you say the, there was a fourth habit? So I wrapped it in there. So it's asking first, oh. <laughs> framing well, listening hard yeah. and playing back. So playing back uh, is okay, part yeah. of the, you know, follows the listening, I guess, yeah. um, uh, as part of, of those habits. And then the last section is, is just basic feedback. So it's about how to use coaching when you're feeding back on, you know, lessons or anything really, even a document um, which has got kind of making connections. So how do you how do you make the connection with someone so that they realize you're you're just there for them? Um, you've got no other agenda but to help them be better at what they're doing. Um, and then the, and then what I call feed forward, which is where you then help them to work out what they're going to do. Um, and the importance there of you you know it's quite you know particularly you know if you think about coaching and mentoring of of new teachers they they're not called coaches are they? they're called mentors yeah deliberately because they're especially at the first half of the year they're in you're in mentor mode you're giving advice you're making suggestions but even then i would always start by asking first see what people can come up with for themselves mm. but quite quickly with someone who's new you might go into mentor mode because you've got a load of knowledge that someone else hasn't yeah. got and I, I'm not in the of the view that, you know, coaching shouldn't go there. Some people are real purists in coaching would say, Andy, that's not coaching. Um, I happen to like the ability to move across that spectrum. And that, and that is an underpinning. I think I think there that. is I think there is a danger sometimes. I agree with you. And I will always I will always say to somebody, you know, can I give you my experience or would you like me to mm -hmm. share something that, that I've done or I've used? Um, yeah. And then I would encourage them to think about how it might be used in their context. But I think there is a danger sometimes. And, and the, the terms coaching and mentoring do get used alongside each other. And in mm -hmm. some places there is confusion over mm -hmm. what coaching is and what mentoring is. And I think that mm -hmm. I don't want to say it can be dangerous because it's not it's not dangerous, is it? But but there are there are some some dangers of, of, of the confusion between the two. Well, I think you're right. Um, yeah, whether dangerous is the right word. I know I know exactly yeah, what you're saying there. But um, I mean, sometimes people think they're coaching when they're not, because they don't ask first. They just mm. go straight into well, they might say, you know, what's going on and they identify a problem and then they and then they offer them the solution. Um, so in that sense, I think you know, and I, I, it was really interesting, actually, when I wrote basic coaching, I really played down the mentoring element, because I was very aware of exactly what you're talking about here, and people thinking it's about giving advice. And, it, you know, it really isn't in the first instance, anyway. But what was really interesting is, um, I put out a little tweet saying, look, I've just written my first draft, if anyone wants to comment on it and give me feedback, that would be amazing. We're all oh, in what a shame I missed that. <laughs> um, well, I got 74 replies. And I sent out with an email this draft to 74 people. Um, and then I thought, God, I've really made a rod for my own back here because I've got to read all this feedback when I get it. But honestly, it slowed down the publication of the book by a month, but it was so worth it because one of the things it did is it gave me confident confidence to be more um, assertive, if you like, around this issue of, of using the whole continuum. Um, and, and, you know, and, and of course... You know, I, I was I've been banging on for the last well, probably from five years ago about what I was calling incremental coaching, 
which is this idea of little and often, and it's okay to go into mental mode if you need to, and so on, you know, based on the kind of instructional coaching mm. uh, that was coming over from the States. Um, but instructional coaching to me seems slightly tautologous in the sense of, you know, but it, 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 it's got a different meaning because it's about coaching for instruction, which is what they call it's more teaching. like sports coaching, isn't it? Yeah, and it, exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, and in fact, Doug Lamov's just written a, a new book um, on coaching for schools, which draws a lot on the world of, of sports coaching. Mm. Um, now, I don't think it's an either or, you know, as I often find myself saying, I, I think it's a both. Um, but I think you should, so, which is why the first habit is always ask first, because then there's no glass ceiling on what someone can achieve for themselves without your help, apart from asking the right questions. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't rule out the opportunity that you might want to put some other things metaphorically on the table and see whether or not they want to pick them up. Yeah, I think the thing with, with coaching is you want to challenge someone, but you don't want them to be struggling. So if they're struggling, mm, yeah. you need to be able to help them, don't you? That when you reach that point. Yeah, um, and one of one of Michael Bungay Stanier's favourite questions is he has seven questions and a chapter on each. It's a brilliant book, um, but one of his chapters is how can I help? You know, which is which is really good. And that was the, that was the title of our last podcast that we did, which is oh, was it? Yeah, yeah. It's interesting that you should say that. Asking the question of people how how mm. can how can I help? Okay. Because what we yeah. talked about was how well being, and I think we've 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 touched on on lots of ideas to do with well being today. Um, but we talk about how well being is something different for everyone, and I think mm. that's why coaching can be so impactful in mm. terms of of well-being because it's mm -hmm. it's individual and it's personalized i think it yeah. becomes more difficult when you start talking about the broader picture of creating engagement you need effective cpd don't you and and mm -hmm. when you talk about individualizing and personalizing that and asking what you need it becomes mm -hmm. a much more complex mm -hmm. problem mm -hmm. no definitely definitely um yeah great so so what's next for you then for me <laughs> yeah. well i've been working um in schools to support the creation of of peer to peer coaching communities oh, wow. okay. um yeah and i've um i've created my own coaching program for women leaders because i think mm -hmm. it's really important that we support women leaders onto mm -hmm. senior leadership teams and into into headship so i've created um a course that's it, I train women in coaching um, mm. and then um, it's co-coaching within the group. So the women coach each yeah. other using yeah. what they've yeah. learned. Um, yeah. And that's that's been really, really successful. I think giving the women a space in which to explore, mm. first of all, what coaching is and then put the coaching into practice and, yeah. and learn so much and about the, themselves. And the lovely thing about that model, um, sorry for interrupting, the lo lovely thing about that model is, you know, in terms of, you know, because I'm always thinking, particularly since my days at National College, about, you know, how can we make this scalable in the system is that, you know, of course, time is money, but, you, you, you know, setting up these peers of people who are trained how to do it and then can coach one another, yeah. um, but they're doing similar roles, just not in similar places, gives a real sense of empathy, um, which is, you know, as you know, it's one of those four basic qualities that's really important for good coaching. Yeah, and, and I think the model of, of the leadership matters model that you use um, mm -hmm. is something that I've wondered whether I would be able to use 
in with the women leadership coaching program because i think Amazing. once once people are, are trained in that and i'm hoping yeah. um, to move up to to a, a level of master coaching so that the mm. women who've experienced the coaching program can go mm. on and deliver the program themselves and it makes it self-sustaining within a school then and that's yeah. that's the hope because i don't think there are enough coaches out there mm-hmm. um and we, we need a way. So like I was saying to you before, we need a way to to get more coaches, coaching mm. leaders. And hopefully that's that's one way of doing it. So I'm doing that. Well, yeah, uh, yeah, I absolutely agree. So you were saying, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just trying to build my practice as well with coaching. Mm. I, I coach women leaders um, privately. Mm. So that's mm. that's part of the work that I really enjoy doing. So that's something mm. that I'm hoping to build. I as mean, well again, it, just making a a, a, a parallel, the, the all the programs that I run with the National College of Education, not just the the instructional coaching one that I was mentioning earlier, but the the two programs that I run for at level three and level five for for middle leaders in schools, the the whole of the first session, uh, and then some of the follow up video watching, etc., is all on coaching. And the reason for that is so that when they're then having conversations with what we call their peer learning partner, who is the person they've kind of been buddied up with, who's on the program, is that they can start to have those conversations yeah. with their peer learning partner, but know, know how to do it. And as you say, to practice and keep getting better at that. And, you know, every time I meet them, I top them up with a bit more content on, on the coaching so that they're not trying to do everything all at once. Yeah. Um, because that's going to leave a whole bunch of people who know how to coach wherever they go next and whatever they go from middle leadership to senior leadership or whatever, they will take that with them um, and know the power of it because they've experienced it. So I think that's the other thing is, is really trying to skill people up with, with the basic, basic coaching techniques or whatever, you know, whatever program it is like yours. So that, um, cause, cause it doesn't go away. Once you've experienced the power of it, you'll, you'll carry on doing it. I'm absolutely convinced. So yes, yeah, Rome wasn't built in a day. It's going well, to be one brick it, at a time, but. It's like, I was sorry to interrupt you there, but it's like I was saying to you, I think uh, before we started recording, I experienced, and I've, I've said, I can't remember the name of, of the guy who delivered the coaching training, mm-hmm. but from that point, I understood the power of coaching and I've always tried to use coaching within the way that I've I've led mm. um, the way that I deal with children and it, I think mm. somebody said to me when I was doing a course um, I think it was the women leaders course she said it's changed the way that I approach all of the relationships in my life mm-hmm. she yeah. said even with my husband she says she said sometimes he'll say to me are you coaching me now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> that happens in this household as well I can tell you that. But I've got some members of staff who said to me as well yeah. Am I being coached? You're yeah. coaching me now, aren't you? <laughs> and it's quite funny, but um, I mean, I just think it's about, you know, again, with the basic coaching book, I, I talk about the fact that, yes, you can use this informal coaching, but there's a whole continuum or array of different situations in which just using a coaching approach is incredibly powerful. Um, I mean, I nearly called the book um, How to Be a Great Person to Talk To. Yeah. Because in the end, that's what this is about. If, if people have conversations with you, which at the end of it, they feel more optimistic and clearer about the future, then you've been a great person to talk to. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping um, to put what I've learned from the podcast about well-being into a book. So mm. I've got lots of plans in place and ideas for chapters. And one of the chapters is conversations and coaching, because yeah. it's yeah. like you're saying, it's a conversation 
it, mm. and it, it, it's about it's about dialogue it's about having the dialogue mm. and I think mm. like you were saying it doesn't work when it's in your head no you have to say it out loud it has yeah. to be spoken for it to the be processed to what, it's the response to that then that takes you to the next stage that it's very hard to do on your own yeah and it's like you say you, you can have a model for it but you find you never you never follow that because it's so organic and it it, it has a life a of its guide, own it's not a straight it, it's not a straight jacket it's a i kind of i think it's a framework not a straight jacket is the phrase I yeah use yeah um, that usefully helps uh to structure it listen it's been great to talk with you yep it has it's um, been really really useful thank you pleasure um, and I wish you all the best with the with the other podcasts that you've got coming up. It's, you, you, and you've had some great people on Vicky already, haven't you? I have, yes. I've uh, had Johnny Utley, who's um, who's an yeah, inspirational leader, yeah. Um, yeah. and um, I have I've got an interview coming up with Drew Povey, who oh, okay. is the head of um, the the Harrop Fold School on Educating Greater Manchester. Yeah. So that yeah. should be a, a really interesting interview. Um, yeah, but no, I've also I've also got character. <laughs> yeah, I've got an interview with Benny Cara. Um I, I interviewed Dr. Jill Berry, who you're probably aware of. Oh, Jill um, Berry. Well, we used to work together at the National College. Yeah. I love Jill Berry. Yeah, I don't know so Cara, but I know we had, of her. we had a great interview where we talked. We talked about diversity. Um mm. But there was there was more to be said, and I wanted to get someone who was more of an yeah. expert than me on diversity. Mm-hmm. So Benny Cara is coming on the show, and she's mm-hmm. um, she's a real mm-hmm. advocate for for diversity. Um, so that would be a really interesting interview. Yeah. Listen, I do a lot people... of work with someone called Angie Brown as well. She's oh right, lot... okay. I really recommend you might want to reach out to her. I can introduce you to. She's yeah, that would be great. Yeah firing yeah. role model and great fun as well she's absolute fun oh good F- fun's always uh always a bonus <laughs> fun's important um, if you can't laugh and giggle along the way then it's, it's, it's a shame exactly if people want to find out more about your books about leadership matters or about basic coaching um where can they find you yeah so there's a kind of one-stop shop for all the stuff that i do including the charity that i've set up um or i'm setting up um uh so you just go to andybuck.org.uk brilliant thank you so much for your time today and i know that you're really really busy and you've got to you've got a, a schedule that's packed so we really appreciate you taking the time to come and talk no, to us thanks pleasure. very much i've got a little doggy to go and see to now so yeah take care vicky oh go and enjoy thank you yes, take thanks. care Bye-bye. bye bye i just want to say thank you so much to andy for that interview um, there, are, there is so much that you can take from it. Um, it was really lovely actually to hear Andy's passion for teaching that when he was a leader he wanted to go back to teaching and that's that's the thing that really drives him and he is really working for in the best interests of the children so to speak. There were quite a few things that Andy said that I just want to pick up on. The first one is about the future of meetings and training and how we move into more online uh, versions of, of that and how that can support the well-being of staff and how it offers more flexibility. It's interesting that even training courses now are having to move that way. Um, the other thing that Andy said was about engagement and how engaging your staff 
is so important. And I think you might need to go back and listen again to the things that he said about engagement in the interview, because I think that's so important. If your staff are disengaged, you wouldn't, you will not find the improvements that you find in the same way that you can get them if you can get your staff engaged. And I think one of the things that he talked about that really encompasses that idea of engagement is he talked about staff being healthily challenged and he mentioned Mary Myatt and the idea of high challenge and low threat. And that's something that we explored on the Johnny Utley interview also. But this idea of being healthily challenged and cared for whilst working towards high standards. So nobody's taking a back seat. It's not easy. It's not about making life easy for staff. It's about challenging them to be the best that they can be in a supportive environment. And I think that's the important bit. That's the, the bit that's key for me. It's that supportive environment in which you introduce the challenge. So there's low anxiety. The final thing that I want to say about Andy is what he said about things that give you nourishment. We talk a lot about self-care or self-compassion, but I found that that the word nourishment was so apt in the context of well-being, finding things that give you nourishment. And for Andy, that was going back to the classroom. It was going on a school holiday. It was doing things with the children that actually brought him joy. And that's so important in terms of your well-being, finding those things that give you nourishment. And he also talked about owning a dog which I would definitely, um, <laughs> I would definitely recommend. You'll have heard Ruby on the show many, many times, I'm sure. But she gets me out of the door. She gets me out into nature. She gets me walking, and that brings my nourishment. So think about the things that that give you that nourishment, the sense of joy in what you are doing, because I think that's extremely important. And it wasn't supposed to be an interview with Andy about coaching, but I think he very succinctly gives the sense of what coaching can bring to you as a leader. And if that's something that you're interested in, uh, you can always visit my website, um, drop me a line, and I'd be happy to have a chat with you about coaching and about what coaching could offer you and how it could help you in terms of your well-being. And that brings us to the end of another episode. Thank you so much for listening and I'll speak to you next time. Take care of yourself, take care of your staff and lead well. The We Lead Well podcast was brought to you in partnership with Transform Education Coaching headteacherchat.com and the Teach Well Alliance.